Welcome to Rex Factor! This week, Wolfthrith of Wilton! With your hosts, Graham Duke and Ali Hood. Hello. Was that right? Yes, I think so. Wolfrith. We were just discussing the... Um, There's a fur and a fur. Yeah, that's not normal. Also not normal is the fact that we are actually going to be doing two people rather than just one today. Well, hang on, who is it? Wolfrith? So Wolf- I've only Milton. put Wolfrith of Wilton on, but it's going to be a double episode because we're on to Edgar the Peaceable, you'll be glad to hear. <laughs> and Edgar had three wives, but the first one we know almost nothing about her at all. So I thought rather than do a hashtag remember I the style episode where there's really nothing much to go on, mm. thought we'd do her in this episode and then we'd go on to the rather meteor uh, Wolfrith of Wilton. Double dingo. I don't Double. know what that means. No. I hope that's not offensive. Um, just a bit of background to today. We've run out of milk. Disaster. So as Graham said, we're going hardcore tea straight, straight into a full-blooded Earl Grey. So if we start going a bit crazy... <laughs> Well, if you'd like to let us know about our craziness, you can get in touch on social media. We are at Rex Factor Pod on Twitter and Instagram. And you can like the Rex Factor Podcast Facebook page. Email rexfactorpodcast.hotmail.com. And if you really like what you're hearing, you can donate monthly and join the Privy Chamber to get some bonus content and help us keep going. And we also, we've not mentioned this yet, and uh, we probably should have done much more fervently. On Sunday, the 30th of June, we are going to be appearing at the Chalk Valley History Festival. Yes, I'm excited because it's on the back of a World War II vehicle. Uh, yes, so this is a big history festival. This is sort of the Glastonbury of history festivals, really. All yes. the great and good of the history world will be there. So uh, if you are going to be coming to the festival or if you fancy buying a ticket now, come along Sunday the 30th of June. Come and see us. Yeah, we're going to be doing a talk uh, on on the consorts, but a sort of a, a merger. I think we've got about half an hour. Doing it twice, yeah. So that means we're going to have a massive crowd and you can be one of the hardcore Rex fans. Exactly. Anyway, mm. a bit of backgroundy stuff for this episode I thought might be helpful. A bit of a refresher. The previous episode where we had Elfgafu, we had a conflict between two teenage brothers, King Edwig and his younger brother, Edgar. Yeah. They opposed each other for the kingship. The kingdom temporarily was split, but in 959 when Edwig dies... Edgar takes control of the whole lot. So let's move on to Edgar's first wife. Mm-hmm. Ethelfled Candida slash Anida. So, Ethelfled Candida or Anida. What's going on there? So she's either nicknamed Candida, which is white or fair, mm. very beautiful, or Anida, which is duck. <laughs> uh, the former suggests that she was beautiful, which we all find is in keeping with Edgar's tastes. Yeah. The duck part, I find slightly less easy to explain. I mean, they're 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 beautiful. They can be beautiful. So maybe she was a beautiful duck-like. She swam a lot. Or something. Uh, obviously, when you send in your hashtag consult cards for oh, this episode, <laughs> that's going to be fantastic. Some very pulchritudinous ducks. <laughs> I don't understand that word. Hmm. Now, in terms of her background, she's generally stated to have been the daughter of a chap called Audmire who is the Earldman of East Anglia. Oh, right. So there's evidence he exchanged an estate in Hatfield with Athelstan King that we talked about last mm-hmm. time. It's a very powerful noble in exchange for lands in Devon. But there's almost no evidence of her existing at all. 
certainly none from the Saxon period. We're relying on some Norman writers for uh, right. being referenced. There is also no known earldman from this period called Ordmire. What? But the name does look a little bit like the name of uh, Elfrith's father, and Elfrith is Edgar's third wife. And she was also known as Elfrida the Fair. So some historians have even questioned whether this woman existed at all, or if Norman historians just got a bit confused about similar names and mixed them up a bit. Wow, something's gone wrong. Something does seem to have gone wrong. However, Hmm. if it was Thane Ordmire of Hatfield, so a Thane is one step down in the ranks from an earldman, And there was a chap called Ordmire from Hatfield, and she said he does exchange estates in Hatfield with Athelstan Halfking. Okay. There's also the will of a woman called Winifled, who left a bequest to a woman called Ethelfled the White, who was a nun at Shaftesbury Abbey. That can't be her, really. Oh, but she's the first wife. First wife, and yeah. as we've seen with people like Elfled, sometimes you can take a wife, decide you need a new one, mm. where do you send the old one? Yeah. A nunnery. Easy. And Shaftesbury Abbey is one of the sort of original Royal Wessex nunneries, so it's absolutely the right kind of place to find a former wife of a king. Yeah, uh, nunneries being sort of uh, retirement homes for queens. (laughs) Yes. Um, In terms of why Edgar would have married this woman, if indeed he did marry her at all, Mm. um, it's generally assumed that her father, or, or at least her father's family, would have provided him with links to the great and good of Mercia. Do they need, still need that? Is there still that division? Well, when he originally um, is in conflict with his brother Edwig, oh, yeah. Edgar is actually recognised as king in Mercia yeah. whilst Edwig kept Wessex. Hmm. So perhaps this marriage might have enabled Edgar to yeah. stake his claim separate to his brother. Okay, so it's just working his way in a bit more. So we perhaps assume that they might have got married before he became king of all England. Mm. And likewise, once he is king of all England, mm. maybe he doesn't need her anymore. Oh, meanie. Well, or she dies. Oh, yeah, nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but ultimately, we don't know. Um, uh, well, yes, and ultimately, we don't know. We don't know what became of her. She does have a child, mm. so she could easily have died in childbirth, of course. Oh, we know she had a child. We do know she has a child. This is part of the complication that there's a child that needs a mother. <laughs> So people are maybe looking for her mother and finding someone that is there. Yeah. Right. So she has a child, and we have no other information to go on. So perhaps she dies in childbirth, which is entirely plausible. Mm -hmm. Alternatively, as I said, perhaps she's sent to a nunnery. Mm. I'll go nunnery. Either way, that is all we know about Ethelfled, Candida, Stroke, Anida. Oh, Ducky's waddled off. Indeed, but we have a duty to review her. Really? Battleliness! So, we've got absolutely nothing to go on for battleliness. No, I can't think of anything. So, I'm afraid that's going to have to be a zero. Maybe she died in battle. Yeah. Any, any evidence? Literally none. No. Scandal! Fortunately, we've got absolutely nothing to go on for scandal. Okay. Okay, she's going to have to do really well in longevity here. Mm, I fear it's another zero on the board. Subjectivity. Unfortunately, I don't actually have any particular evidence for this factor either. No. No. So she's going to have to do loads of children as well. 
Indeed, but it's another zero when it comes to subjectivity for Ethelfled. Longevity. Well, we do have someone to go for on longevity. Right. Because if she was the consort, therefore... But do we know when it started? No, and we also don't know when it finished. Right. But Edgar becomes king in 959. Yeah. So we assume that probably she was already married to him and thus she can begin being consort in 959. Mm. Her son, probably born around that sort of time, Mm. and then she's probably gone after that. So I think the safest thing is to assume that, you know, maybe a year. And that's giving her the benefit of the doubt. That is giving her the benefit of the doubt. But nevertheless, we are going to give her a bit of credit and assume that she was there. For living. For living. Possibly living. (laughs) Which means one year converts to a score of 1.5 out of 20, which is joint 53rd. Out of? 59. So some people lived lived less than, were, were a consort for less than a year? Yes. Wow. Almost a Rex fact for Ethelfled <laughs> Candida. Yeah, that's amazing. So you oh. did bequeath something to history. <laughs> hey. Dynasty, not the program. And she also bequeathed a son to history. One mm. surviving child, Edward the Martyr. But Edward the Martyr becomes later on actual King of England. Oh. So hence why everyone's trying to find out the mother of this person, because this person actually becomes king. Yeah, it's, it's really important. Yeah. And that's why, again, we assume that she is not around by the time he becomes king, because there is absolutely no mention of her. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, she has one child mm-hmm. who survives her, and that is a score of 7.5 out of 20, mm. which means that she is a joint 32nd for uh, Dynasty. Mm. So, I mean, she her score has suddenly skyrocketed here, gives her a total score... Of nine. That's actually not the worst, is it? What, is it? what, what was that one above? 25. Oh, above that. 3.5. That was Ethelfled of Dameron. One child is <laughs> better than, like, two years on the throne. Yeah. That's, mm, it's a tricky game, this one. It's a very tricky game. So she gets a score of nine, which, no spoilers, means that she's level with the person that we're about to review afterwards based on the longevity and tinsel. Oh, really? <laughs> um, but it's not all about the score. Does she have that certain something, that lasting legacy, the great achievement, the star quality that we call... Rex Factor! Well, she's got a fun name. Yep. Beautiful Duck. Beautiful Duck. There's so much going for her. She's when the mother started. of a king. It's pretty impressive that her only score <laughs> was in having a child, and that child became a king. Yeah. Mm. Still, no. No, because unfortunately there's so little information to go on that, as I said, we can't even be 100% certain that she... Yeah, hopeless. ...definitely exists. No, definitely not. But she is nevertheless featured in an episode of Factor, albeit not necessarily with her name on the front. Yeah. Uh, and bequeath a little Rex back to history. Exactly. So thank you very much. What was the name? Ethelfled Candida stroke Enida. The end. And also, actually, when you Normanize the name, you might see Ethelfled written as Elf- Ethelfleda. Mm-hmm. So she's Ethelfleda Candida Enida. <laughs> <laughs> why, oh why, didn't... Um Someone like Dexy's Midnight Runners do a song <laughs> yeah, about her. Exactly. Well, 
Not enough information to go on for her, unfortunately, but there's going to be more for our next consort. Wolfrith of Wilton! So, the main... Uh, character? <laughs> the main character in this episode. Yeah. Wolfrith of Wilton, thus the second consort of Edgar the Peaceable. Now, I'm going to surprise you here, Graham. Yeah. I think I know who this is. Do you? Yes. Hot lady, bishop, bishop killed, king gets hot lady. Uh, is that not it? Don't think so. Oh, he didn't. He send it. Didn't he? Uh, Edgar say, "Who's this person that I hear rumor about being so hot?" Ah, yes, not a bishop, wasn't it? <laughs> no, it wasn't oh. a bishop. He didn't send a bishop to check oh. out how hot. A woman. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> that is wife number three that we'll be doing next time. Oh, is it? Yes, right. So you're very almost on the money. But this is a different person. This is Wolfrith of Wilton. We don't know when she was born. Um, oh, I didn't say for <laughs> Ethelfled, Candida, Anida. Uh, we don't know when she was born. Ethel, <laughs> Ethel Come on. Ethelreda, Candida, Anida. <laughs> yeah. Wolfrith of Wilton, we also don't know. Probably sometime around 937, mm-hmm. perhaps. Um, she's the daughter of someone and someone else. Yep. Don't know the name of either parent, but she is thought to be a noble woman because she's a cousin of a woman called Wolfhilda. Hmm. Wolfhilda is the daughter of a Wessex nobleman called Wolfhelm. There's a, a family uh, thing going on here, like Kardashians. <laughs> Indeed, it's a bit wolfy over here. So she's part of a noble family. We don't know her parents, but we do know that she's got important Some. links. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, Wolfhilda... Hmm. Um, is someone that we have actually encountered before in the podcast because she attracted the attention of Edgar the Peaceable herself. This is the cousin rather than Wolfrith. This is Wolfhilda. Right. So Edgar decided that he wanted to marry Wolfhilda despite the fact that she was actually a nun at Werwell Abbey. Yeah. Um, the abbess, her aunt, agreed that they could get married, but Wolfhilda escaped and convinced Edgar to let her stay a nun and she was compensated for her troubles by being made the abbess of barking. Sounds good, isn't it? Mm. So you get your way and a promotion. Yes. Oh, gosh, you sweet talker. Indeed. Um, but Edgar was obviously keen to make a marriage match with the family, or indeed perhaps he had a bit of a penchant for ladies in nunneries. Uh, or wolves. <laughs> or wolves, yes, or wolves in nunneries. Um, because he then turns his eye to Wolfrith. Mm. Family now, resemblance? Family resemblance, and she is also in a nunnery. No, as well. Wilton, indeed. Why are they all in nunneries? Well, I guess that's where Edgar's looking. But this whole family of just... Uh, oh, another girl. Get the abbess on the phone. <laughs> well, it's not clear if Wilfrith is actually a nun. or if she's Sorry to pursue this line of thought, mm. but the abbess of the woman you were talking about before... Yes. ...was her aunt. Yes. So there's three members of this family in... Yeah. I, I'm I'm keen to know more about this. Well, I mean, it's not an uncommon uh, thing for a you know, career path of the noble woman to go into a, mm. into a nunnery. Well, that's why he's looking for in the nunneries, because that's where they all are. Well, then. indeed. And in terms of Wilfrith, we don't know if she actually definitely was a nun or if she was being educated in, in the nunnery, because uh, it's quite common for noble women at the time to... It's almost like a boarding school. Yeah. Once they go to the nunnery get their mm. education. Some of them will remain and become actual nuns. Mm. Others might go off depending on whether there's Useful alliances lands or marriage or things like that to yeah. be doing. Okay. But nevertheless, there is a whiff of uncertainty because Edgar's 
got a bit of a reputation for mm-hmm. what he gets up to with nuns. Mm-hmm. So they do get married, mm. uh, probably around 961-962. It's really this is how we're sort of calculating back in terms of Ethelfled Candida, in terms of when she might be right. consort. Right, yeah. Um, the precise nature of the union is unclear, because as we said, the Saxon marriages could sometimes be a little ill-defined. Mm. Yeah and not always fully official in the eyes of the church, mm. Dunstan's biography no, doesn't seem to consider it a full marriage. So in Dunstan's eyes, she might be a bit of a concubine. Isn't any, what, everyone? Well, yeah. yes, in Dunstan's eyes, mm. yes. Um, legend has it that rather than her being a noble woman being educated at Wilton, instead what happened was that Edgar went into the nunnery, she took his fancy, literally, physically carries her off to his residence at Kemsing, and... Uh, has his wicked way with her. This is sex with nuns. This is, in fact, sex with nuns. <laughs> sex with nuns. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, it's good to be back. But the 11th century hagiographer Gosselin claimed that they were bound by indissoluble vows. Yeah. Are you married? Well. But that could have been after the fact, of course. Mm. So, after about a year, Wilfrith uh, has a daughter mm. called Edith. And then she goes back to Wilton Abbey and becomes a nun. Oh, so she wasn't into it at all. She just sort of... Well, this is the question mark. Some accounts suggest that she had no desire to be queen, nor to continue a physical relationship with Edgar. Yeah, it sounds like it. So once she's had the daughter, she persuades him to let her return to her old life at Wilton, becomes a nun, and indeed later becomes the abbess of Wilton. Gives up her daughter? No, because Edith goes with her into the nunnery. She gets to take oh, Edith with her. The arrangements for her to go into the nunnery yeah. are made by a chap called Bishop Ethelwald, who is a key ally of the woman who's about to marry Edgar in her place. Right. So perhaps rather than it being a voluntary situation, perhaps Edgar has already moved on to wife number mm. three and mm. we're seeing her being sent off to a nunnery. So she was dragged out and pushed in. <laughs> Indeed, yes. Um, yeah, so it might just be that politically Edgar's made a better match and mm. doesn't need her anymore. Um, either way, whether she wanted to go back or not, she gets a very good deal. She seems to have been escorted back to Wilton by Edgar and the court in a grand procession, mm. laid her secular clothes and possessions aside before entering in proper religious garb, and as you are, she gets to take her daughter Edith with her, mm. so she's not separated from a child. She's granted lands and money, well, I mean it goes to Wilton, but it is actually granted to her personally, mm. rather than just than the Abbey. And Wilton is actually, Abbey is still close to the royal court, so it's not like she's, you know, 100 miles away in the middle of nowhere up a mountain mm. in a secluded monastery. She's basically just in the building next door. Mm-hmm. So it's a very short procession. <laughs> very short, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they just sort of got on a horse and then got at the at the back end and got off at the front end. Yeah. <laughs> but as such, she's wealthy. She's got a lot of influence still. She seems to have maintained a pretty good relationship with Edgar. Well, yeah, he seems... Um... Now, the new queen, wife number three, mm. obviously we'll talk about her more next time when we do her own episode. This is a woman called Elfrith, mm. sometimes written as Elfrida. Now, she has an awful lot of power as consort to Edgar, and she's actually given jurisdiction over nunneries. Oh, dear. But, of course, her husband's ex-wife is the abbess of a nunnery, and, indeed, the ex-wife's cousin, whom Edgar tried to marry, is also an abbess of a nunnery. Yeah, and the aunt of those two. 
Indeed, and of course, Edith, the daughter, is growing up in a nunnery and apparently is quite well favoured by uh, Edgar. Uh, anyway, so there's a lot of tensions here. We've got Wolfrith, still an influential figure, close to court, but the new wife has mm. control over the nunneries, mm. but her husband's ex and her family own quite a few of them. Yeah. Now, Edgar uh, dies in the year 975, mm. and there's a bit of a dispute over who is going to become king. There's Edward the Martyr, who is the son of Ethelfled and Eda. Right. But Elthrith, wife number three, also has a son, Ethelred. Mm. The unready, as he will mm. ultimately become. Now, ultimately, Edward is the one who does become king, but after a few years, he is murdered. Mm-mm. Hence the martyr. Mm. And many people suspect wife number three, Elthrith, is involved. Uh-oh. Now, it's interesting that apparently quite a lot of the propaganda and the accounts which paint her as the murderess mm. come from nunneries such as Wilton. Mm. So one suspects mm. that Wolfrith, in her nunnery... Typing away. But but what mm. she got to be doing, because Wolfrith doesn't have a son to be involved in the succession dispute, so why is she bothering? Other than the fact that she wants her to stay out of her nunnery. But there's also an interesting story that after Edward is uh, murdered in 978, some suggest that Dunstan, who is not on the side of the new wife, actually offers the throne to Edith, the well, daughter. Of really? Wolfrith. Who's in the Abbey? So there's, he's so desperate to avoid new wife getting her way with her son that he thinks, well, we've got this holy young woman who is the beloved daughter of the king doing a very good job. Maybe a mature and respectable woman would actually be better than a boy king uh, whose mother I don't like. Wow. It's debated whether this is true because the only source for this is a hagiography written about Edith so it's obviously going to be biased in her favour to suggest such a thing Dunstan hates the ladies but it's the problem where he's got a lady that could be queen who's you know grown up in an honorary is respectable versus a lady who's going to be the mother of the king that he thinks is terrible so he doesn't like either but likes one more than the other indeed whether it's true or not we don't know but that is interesting in terms of the dynamic between Wolfrith and Ethelfrith yeah whether there is this slight possibility Edith turns it down partly because the suggestion seems to be that she will marry a nobleman who will effectively be king and she doesn't actually want to get married Mm. so she stays in the nunnery now unfortunately her daughter Edith actually predeceases her she dies quite young in 984 oh dear uh, but she does become celebrated as a saint. Which one? Uh, the daughter, Edith. So St. Edith? St. Edith, indeed. Which means Edgar the Peaceable is the son and father of a saint. Wow, Rex, fact. Hmm. That's brilliant. Yeah. Who's the father of? Edith. Oh, yeah. Who's the, the son of? St. Elfgefur yeah. Shaftesbury. Yeah. Huh. So for a man who's, uh, well, I guess maybe that's why he finds himself drawn to nunneries. Because <laughs> <laughs> Very true. You marry your mother. Uh, Wolfrith dies herself on the 21st of September. Mm. Sad. We don't actually know what year, oh. but it was definitely on the 21st of September. <laughs> of? Um, we, we're going to guess at about 1,000. But we don't know exactly. Oh, I mean, of, oh, what did she yeah. die of? Uh, probably just old age. She'd have been in her 60s at that point. Right. 
Um, she's buried at the main altar of uh, Wilton Abbey, and she herself is credited with various miracles. I bet she is. But sadly, her cult never takes off, and she doesn't quite manage to become a saint. Oh. So right. her daughter did, but she didn't. Yeah. Okay. Because you need to do three or something, don't you? Or maybe that's how it is now. I think now. I think previously it was a bit more. You just If you have enough people, enough footballers, and if footballers, supporters in your team. <laughs> it's a very unconventional way to... <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. So anyway, that is the life and consortship of Wilfrith of Wilton. We shall also give her a review, but I think we've got a little bit more to talk about. Okay. Battleliness! So we obviously don't have any actual fighting and that sort of stuff to go mm. on, but with the consorts, we're looking for a sort of an independence, kind of fighting their own corner, yeah. power and influence, that kind of thing. And we do potentially have some suggestion of this with Wolfrith. Again, it's one of those, it's a little bit between the lines mm. of history, but it's there if you look for it. In terms of her going into the nunnery, she either rejects Edgar, basically, and says, look, I know you're king and everything, but I really just don't want them, just don't fancy you, I want to go back. Yeah. Which is quite impressive. And she gets to live the life that she wants, taking her daughter with her. Or Edgar's like, oh, it's really awkward, I want to marry somebody else, but I'm married to you. <laughs> and then she negotiates a very good divorce settlement and gets to become the uh, abbess of Wilton. Yeah. Sort of a bit like, it's not you, it's me, it's not me, it's you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, either way, she gets her way. Yeah. Which is pretty impressive. Yeah, and as Abbess, she's a very powerful figure. She receives lands and donations from uh, Edgar. And she also does seem to be quite, uh, quite an active figure in what's going on. So she's not just sort of hidden away, praying and being very, very holy. She's getting involved in stuff. She uh, intervenes um, when Ethelred is king uh, to prevent some encroachments on Wilton's privileges Mm. as an abbey. So apparently a couple of royal servants try to enter Wilton to arrest some thieves who are claiming rights of sanctuary. Mm. So she puts a stop to that, kicks them out. Protects the thieves. Well, it writes a sanctuary mm. to be able to go in. Uh, she also secured the release of two Wilton priests who'd been imprisoned by the Reeve of Wilton. What's that? So it's sort of a sheriff right. type figure. Sounds like she's riding roughshod over the law here. <laughs> Indeed, perhaps for subjectivity you might look down upon mm. it, but in terms of battliness, mm. we can see that she's um, kicking up a fuss getting stuff done. Yeah, yeah, true. Don't mess with her patch. Yeah, very true. She's defending her... Uh, what's it called her remit yeah yeah. exactly Uh, she was granted six estates in Wiltshire and the Isle of Wight oh lovely so gifted to her but retained by the Abbey and she uses her wealth to build a collection of what else relics so she goes around junk shops picking up old bits of stick and bone well actually she gets a nail from the crucifix God, that's that's a hell of a find. Mm. And she clashed with uh, Bishop Ethelwald when he tried to acquire it for herself, uh, for himself. So they're both trying to buy it. I'm not sure if they were both trying to buy it or if she bought it and then he was like, oh, I think I'll have that. I'm quite mm. a senior member of the clergy. I'm sceptical, but right, okay. Uh, she built a stone wall around the abbey as well. Oh, right. So what was there before? It's just an abbey on its own. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. well, I always imagined it had a wall. Mm. Well, <laughs> after <laughs> Wolfrith, it does. <laughs> Um, she is probably quite an important uh, person in terms of her daughter Edith becoming a saint, so she would have promote, promoted the cult of that. Mm. And uh, because, as we've seen, she also probably was a little bit of a master of the dark arts of propaganda. 
Oh. Although she is before it was invented by William the Third. Was it William the Third? Yeah. Oh. Um, as I said, again, slightly hidden between the lines of history, but there does seem to have been a lingering tension between her and Edgar's next wife. Yeah. Elfrith, who is given jurisdictions over the nunneries. And indeed, Elfrith ousted Wolfhilda, the cousin, as abbess of Barking. Really? Yeah, apparently there were some complaints about her or some sort of thing, and Elfrith takes advantage of that and so, kicks her out. So it's hard to imagine that that family dynamic wasn't part of the factor. Yeah, definitely. In what was going on. But she doesn't manage to do that to Wolfrith. Yeah, and as she said, Wolfrith manages to avoid having to comply as much with the reform. She seems to have been able to keep Walton independent. And then later on, when we have the succession crisis and the murder of Edward the Martyr, mm. Walton is one of the sources for the tales of Elfrith's new wife as being behind the murder. Right. Yeah, she is the master of propaganda. So she's getting involved. She's fighting her own corner for Wilton. She gets a good deal to get to go there, becomes quite powerful and wealthy, defends her patch, mm. and gets stuck in when uh, the new wife... Right, oh. Well, that's not bad, is it? Especially mm. as with the last one, we didn't even know they were born. Yeah, exactly. This is pretty good. Um, against her, if if... If it wasn't voluntary that she went to Wilton, even if she negotiates a good deal, she does ultimately get ousted. Mm. And it probably is a little bit irritating that the new wife is then given control over all the nunneries, given that you work in a nunnery. Yeah, but she couldn't... She was in a nunnery by that point. I don't think she could have done anything about it. But she she fights, though. She but does. She does. Yeah. She does. Uh, and it's not entirely battley, but she doesn't become a saint. Which isn't a classic criticism for battliness, <laughs> but <laughs> she isn't quite able to work the dark arts she's, after her death. Uh, she's um, too terrestrial. Indeed. Getting involved in the uh, stuff of man instead of concentrating on the mm. celestial. Yeah. So it's nothing major there, but there's, you know there is evidence that this is someone who, if you mess with her, she will mess with you. Yeah, and she, gets, she knows what she wants and how to get it. Mm. Or... If it wasn't what she wanted, she makes a good thing of it. Yeah. Yeah. Score. I don't oh, that's a tough one. That's a that's really a thing, tough yeah. one. Uh, uh, and I'm plucking this just because it came to me. Mm. Ten. <laughs> a three. Yeah, I'm sort of thinking a three. I may be more general. Maybe I'll go for a four. Because they say there isn't much evidence there, but if we're looking for independence, agency, mm. fighting our own... I suppose the other thing against her is that all of this is post-consortship. Oh. Which, you know, I think we still give the credit for, but actually there's not really any... I think we have to, don't we? Because it, stuff as during, it's, we found that during, it's during this period mm. when they are able to do yeah. stuff. Mm. Yeah, I think that's fair. But we'll have much more of this sort of thing to come mm. subsequently. So anyway, four and a three, that's a seven for battliness. Scandal. Well, I mean, the biggie here, mm -hmm. of course, is the question mark about what she was doing at Wilton when Edgar first found her. Mm -hmm. Because actually, it's this incident that gave birth to sex with the nuns. That's a weird way round, isn't it? It is a weird way of describing <laughs> it. <yeah. laughs> Edgar uh, abducting her from a nunnery and then having a child with her. That is... That is legendary. That is it, yeah. It is pretty scandalous. Dunstan, of course, was so affronted 
uh, what Edgar did, um, uh, so affronted that Edgar should desire lustfully a person who had been even the semblance of a nun. Mm. He exerted the pontifical power against him, uh, which was uh, evidenced by him preventing Edgar wearing the crown for many years, apparently. How can he get away with this stuff? <laughs> what is he say? Who's he to say what Edgar can wear on his head? Well. I hate him, Graham. <laughs> I really do. And perhaps the cynical interpretation mm. of this sex with none situation is that maybe she knew what she was doing all along. Have a bit of fun with the king. Have a daughter. Get herself nice position as an abbess. Mm. So it worked out very nicely. Very good. Mm. Yeah, that, I sort of, that's how I imagine it happened. Mm. But, of course, the question is, it's not entirely clear, first of all, if she actually was a nun or if she was just living there. Mm. She might just be educated there and, you know, mm. not quite the same thing. Um, William of Malmesbury says that she was not actually a nun, as popular opinion crazily supposes. Mm-hmm. She had merely put on the veil as her own idea in her sudden fear of the king before, as the story continues, the king snatched away the veil and dragged her to his bed. She did not develop a taste for repetitions of sexual pleasure, but rather shunned them in disgust. Unsurprising given she was raped, it sounds like that. Well, exactly there. The suggestion there seems to be that she's abducted and not particularly consenting to what's actually going on. Mm. It's just Edgar is the king, see somebody he likes, takes her. And also there's the elements of propaganda. It's not just Wolfrith who's showing the dark arts. Yeah. It's also Elfrith. Elfrith faced opposition uh, to her own marriage, question marks over the legitimacy of her son, mm-hmm. because if Edgar's previous wife is still alive for some church leaders, i.e. Dunstan, mm. she can't be the legal wife of Edgar. Well, he's, he's confusing the water. It was always fine. So what Elfrith thus does is say, well, if you're putting a question mark over me, then this Wolfrith, she was actually a nun. So that wasn't even a legitimate marriage at all. Uh, right. So Elfrith is also putting out stories about going on. She's saying, ah, she's a nun, actually. So It's blurry. I'm all right. It's so blurry, Graham. Yeah. So it's blurry. We've got, on the one hand, the original sex with nuns. Mm. On the other hand, was she actually a nun? Was it propaganda? Mm. And if she was a nun, in terms of her own actions, probably wasn't necessarily consenting to what was going on. I do you know what I think of uh, that means it's a it's a solid five mm. question marks well yeah question marks but a legendary bit of scandal if it was but it's echoing down the ages and all that a nice five yeah it is it is it's tricky to score because there are so many different interpretations and one doesn't quite know and it's much easier with the king yeah to just say well sex with nuns yeah High score. But, but when reviewing that nun... <laughs> when reviewing the nun, is harder to do. So, uh, yeah, I think I agree. I think a five as well. Mm. There's a lot of murkiness, a lot of uncertainty. Mm. Maybe it should be a higher score, depending on what line you take. Maybe it should be a lower score, if she's just completely a victim of this. We don't know. Don't know. But I don't think we can pass it over entirely. No. So let's go in the middle. Ten for scandal. Subjectivity. Well, I mean, there's not going to be a lot of stuff that you're going to love here, because obviously all that she really does is... Bored! Religion! Well, she does good things for the Abbey, as you said. Lots of land and relics, all that sort of stuff. And it does also act as a pseudo-boarding school for noble girls, and it's very close to the royal court. There is actually a bit of a legacy there. Edith of Wessex, the consort to Edward the Confessor, 
uh, grows up and is educated at Wilton. Matilda of Scotland, the consort to Henry I, who is actually christened Edith, mm. also uh, educated at Wilton. So we see a couple of future consorts, mm. I suppose, you know, reaping some of the good work that she has sowed at Wilton. Also, if she was being cast aside to make way for Elthrith, she was pretty compliant about it. Mm. Gets herself a good deal, but mm. equally doesn't kick up too much of a fuss. I mean, it's Henry VIII's dream scenario. Yeah, really. absolutely. Yeah. If Catherine of Aragon had happily gone off to a nunnery, his life would have been so much easier. Yeah, and she'd have loved that as well. Well, except obviously she fought tooth and nail against it, but <laughs> other than that. Um, but nevertheless, in terms of you know making life easier for the king and the kingdom, yeah, goes off to a nunnery, makes it a very good nunnery from which future queens benefit, doesn't kick up too much of a fuss, makes life a bit easier for everybody. Yeah, if you were the subject when she was consort and you knew that the king was looking elsewhere, you'd there'd be a little intake of breath and then she says no no it's fine I'm going off to the nunnery mm. so that's good subjectivity yeah yeah. against her we don't really have that much evidence to go on and obviously it's all just stuff that she does for Wilton really other than not kicking up a fuss when she gets sent there it's alright isn't it it's alright but there's just not much to two yeah I'd go with her with two as well so that's a four for subjectivity longevity well, as with Ethelfleda and Ida Candida, <laughs> we, uh, we don't know exactly, but maybe 961 to 962, the suggestion is that it basically is just a year. That does seem to oh, be right. suggested that once the daughter's been born. One a year so she far. She goes back. Indeed, he's getting he's quite a rate for Edgar. So, as we know, one year equals 1.5 out of 20, joint 53rd. Yeah. Same score. Dynasty, not the program. Well, again, one child, Edith. Oh, yeah. Doesn't become uh, the queen. No. Despite Dunson's efforts, but it's the same again. One child, seven and a half out of 20, joint 32nd. All of which gives her a total score of 30. Not bad. Not bad. That's the best that we've had since uh, Edgar Fu of Kent, who was a, uh, a Rex Factor winner. Mm. But it's not all about the score. We're asking, do they have that certain something, that lasting legacy, the great achievement and star quality that we call... Rex Factor! In her favour. Mm. Very successful retirement. Mother of a saint. Yeah. And sex with nuns. Yeah. That's good. I mean, that's the best bit. Mm. Against her, it's enforced retirement. She didn't become a saint. Mm. And... It maybe wasn't sex with nuns. There's not enough there for me. No, it's it's like she's got much more to her than uh, Ethel Fleeder and Ida Candida. Mm. Mm. But in terms of the Rex factor, she really needed to have actually stayed consort rather than going off to the nunnery. Yeah, or a whole new story taking off in that second act there. Yeah. But no... So I think that's a no from both of us. Wilfrith of Wilton does not have the Rex factor, but was nevertheless played a little part in the story. Hmm. Now, something uh, that I think we couldn't go without saying more on is that question that we had in Scandal, the sex with nuns. Mm-hmm. What's that all about? What is Edgar <laughs> up to? How can he possibly be doing such a thing? Why is he doing so much of it? <laughs> why, why is he doing so much of it? Let's have a little closer look. Sex with nuns! Yes! 
So sex with nuns. Sex with nuns. Um, obviously, this has come to be quite a big part of Rex Factor. It's defined what you're looking for in yeah. Scandal. Yeah, yeah. It has, hasn't it? Yeah, lovely bit of murder. Mm. Lovely bit of sex with nuns. Mm. Murdering. I know we already are. I said murder. Yeah. Doesn't really matter if it's murdering bishops or people to me. <laughs> that, that sounded so dark. <laughs> no, it's just she's just like, turned on the uh, the heater, <laughs> so your face is slightly glowing. Because <laughs> I was going back to list. It doesn't matter if it's bishops or people. <laughs> it all makes perfect sense. Oh no! I just because I was about to list them uh, separately because yeah. of Beckett. Um, but as we'll see, it also was a subject that exercised the minds of church leaders and lawmakers in the Saxon period. So we've always done it from the perspective of the kings. Mm. running around but we've not really looked at it from the perspective of the nuns then there is this question mark over what it was like for them the issues of consent and all that sort of stuff so this is actually sex with kings indeed it is mm. now it does actually seem to be in a widespread problem in the saxon period really? um particularly among kings yeah so there's plenty of evidence that saxon kings have always had a bit of a penchant for a wimple so in the 8th century <laughs> there's a chap osred of northumbria yeah. who was driven by wantonness in his frenzy, debauching throughout the nunneries, virgins consecrated to God. This is terrible. This is actually just rape, isn't it? Hmm. Ethelbald of Mercia, in about 745-746, received a scorching letter from Pope Boniface for his lusty ways. Hmm. And amongst various things he was getting up to, Pope Boniface highlighted him having sex with nuns, along with various crimes against the church. And apparently he wrote to one of Ethelbald's priests, asking him to then read and explain it to Ethelbald in person. That is a brave priest, though, whoever he chose. <laughs> I'm sure the priest was thrilled when he got mm. that letter from the Pope. Mm. Servant, I have a job for you. <laughs> yeah. Have you got a spare cassock? <laughs> um, so this seems to indicate that kings viewed women at nunneries as being freely available for them. Yeah. Um, perhaps more so if these are royal nunneries where they can claim some sort of rights of lordship. Now, when we did the um, Elf Gafur Shastri episode, we also spoke about how the monastic reform movement was increasingly critical of the way that women could enter a nunnery as a sort of temporary station. Mm. So they could go in, but then they could later leave and marry, depending on their circumstances. Mm. So this perhaps indicates that there's a sense that nunneries aren't sufficiently separate from the royal court or from the secular world. Right. So perhaps that's part of the explanation that actually, from the king's perspective, he's like, well, it's a nunnery, but it's not... It's not a nunnery nunnery, as you'd know it in about 600 years' time. Yeah. It's a place where you get more lots of women, and this woman's probably going to marry somebody in like years' More of a boarding time. school. Exactly. So they're sort of nuns, but not fully nuns. Still, imagine if you substitute the, the word nunnery with boarding school, it doesn't make any <laughs> better. That's true. That's true. Let's assume that they're older. Yeah. It's somewhere for them to hang out while they either become a nun or get married later on. Hmm. Doesn't sound as safe as I imagined a nunnery would be. That's hence the wall. <laughs> hence the wall, indeed. Keep out rampant kings. Keep out Edgar. So they try to uh, have some solutions to this problem. Uh, in 786, the Legatine Council decreed that children born to a woman who had left a nunnery should be barred from inheritance. Right. So that's putting the parents off, putting the m mother off. But it's not... The king won't care. The king won't care, but it's a way... It's a general problem... It's not just with kings. There's sex with nuns right. is a problem generally that you get women going into a nunnery, going out, marrying, having children. So the church is saying, right, from now on, if you do that, 
your child doesn't get to inherit all your land and stuff. We can't have this as a dynastic okay. thing. When Alfred the Great becomes king, he, in the last decade of his reign, has a law code, and it goes into detail about the penalties for removing a nun from a nunnery, stipulating that nuns who married could not inherit the property of her husband, nor could their children, and there are also penalties for anyone who lustfully seizes a nun. Why isn't Edgar subject to this? Well, Alfred specified that nuns should not be removed without the permission of the king. Oh. He didn't foresee yeah. <laughs> the loophole that, therefore, the king himself... Yeah, he sees it as a sweet shop. Exactly. We should have a verb here to take a nun from a nunnery. Mm. Like, to... Ex-nun. Ex-nunniate. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Ethelwald, who is the cousin of Edward the Elder and challenged Alfred's son for the kingship when Alfred died pretty much the first thing he does is to go into a nunnery and take a nun. He can't believe his luck. Marry her. Um, and it said, a nun whom he had taken without the king's permission, because that's the law. He had to get the permission mm, of the but king. he thought he was the king. He thought he was king, so he thought it was fine. Uh, but of course, Edgar is the classic example, tried to abduct Wolf Hilda, and then actually does abduct her cousin Wolfrith. Mm, yeah. Now, it's uh, notable, we mentioned that um, Elfrith, the new wife was given jurisdiction over the nunneries mm. and perhaps that's quite understandable that they decided the uh, the king no longer <laughs> is the one oh. in charge given that edgar was the king they thought yeah. well the king obviously has a very important role in religion but maybe somebody else should be the protector of nunneries okay i see well let's just uh yeah. subtly move edgar yeah a bit further away i'm just gonna move these sweeties into the other room while i distract you with this toy exactly now that's what they're trying to do to deal with it. But it still doesn't really answer the question of exactly what people like Edgar think they're doing here. Mm. And there are various actual other explanations that are a bit more complex than simply Edgar fancies nuns. Mm. One of them is politics. Really? Well, so we said with that uh, Ethelwald, the cousin of Edward the Elder, when he goes in and takes a nun, seems to have married her, probably because she was of royal or dynastic, uh, royal or noble heritage that would have enhanced his status as someone vying for the kingship. Mm. And likewise with uh, Edgar, he seems to have been keen on a dynastic match because he first off tries Wolf Hilda, mm. and when she says no, he then goes off to Wilfrith, who's her cousin. Mm. So you think it's probably not a coincidence. That they're cousins, yeah. Yeah, so he probably wanted to marry into the family, and they happen both to be based in nunneries. So or he fancies them both. Well, or he fancies them both. But again, he's got more in his mind than simply the fact that they're nuns. Perhaps he's like, well, this would be a useful marriage. Yeah, it's probably somewhere in the middle, isn't it? Yes. His uh, his actions indicate that he, he hears quite a lot about the lust. Yes. A, ki a queen every year. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but we've also talked about the propaganda element going on. Mm. We've seen that queen mothers often is where they get to exert their influence, particularly when there is a battle over the succession. Mm. And Edward the Elder had three wives, all with children. Likewise, Edgar the Peaceable has three wives, all with children. Mm. So this is a classic scenario where the battle for the consort is to establish that you, your marriage, and in particular your child, is more legitimate than all the other ones. Yeah, so maybe there is some sense to this with... Uh Dunstan that he's trying to sort that out which mm. is my other pet peeve the succession and particularly when you've got this issue about 
a grey area with nunneries where you have women going into nunneries, mm. not necessarily actually fully as nuns, mm. but when you've already got a slightly uncertain marriage practice at the best of times, mm. if you're a rival consort and you know that one of your rivals was in some way in a nunnery, you're going to say, well, she was a nun, yeah. definitely a nun, clearly a nun, illegitimate, I'm the proper queen. Yeah, even if she was just uh, at boarding school. Yeah, exactly. So therefore, the whole sex with nuns thing with Edgar, is it because that's what he was doing or is it because it was more politically useful for the third wife to paint those relationships as being lusty and bawdy and illegitimate to make her one look mm. more proper? Yeah. So She's slandering her own husband. Exactly. Well, yes. Saying, you you all know what he's like. <laughs> I'm, I'm me better than anyone. Now, interestingly, there's the question about consent here. Mm. Because as you said, the William of Malmesbury account of it um, has her being carried off from a nunnery, ravished uh, by Edgar, and it just sounds like rape. Mm. But interestingly, there does appear to have been a Saxon custom of bride abduction. Oh, yeah, I've heard of this. So it's a little bit like... um, and we'll obviously we'll come to this quite a lot later in the series, Henry VIII... Yeah, with Anne of Cleves. ...dresses up. Yeah. And everyone knows... Well, everyone's meant to know that it's <laughs> Henry VIII. Unfortunately, she doesn't recognise him because it's just this fat, undignified-looking old man <laughs> rather yeah. than this great prince. But the idea is he dresses up and he's like, oh, look at me. Who's this coming into the Queen's bedroom? Naughty, naughty. Wink, wink. Yeah. And she's like, oh, no, I'm going to be captured. Yeah, yeah. And then the king will ultimately rescue her. Um, perhaps that's actually what's going on here. There's this slightly ancient, slightly ancient Saxon tradition of bride abduction. So it's perhaps simulated rather than forceful in reality. Mm. So it might just be a bit of a custom, bit of a, a game that they're playing along with. She wasn't actually abducted. It's just kind yeah, of yeah, and so so maybe uh, um, the, so maybe the the plan all along was that she was to go into this nunnery, and it gives uh, eligible women a sort of aura of purity or something, and then mm. they're rescued or yeah. captured by yeah. a noble man. Mm. Interesting theory. And another thing to throw into the mix. Something we talked about uh, in a couple of episodes, hagiography. Mm, yeah. So these generally the church has an issue with gender and has an issue with women. That is true. And women, and, and hagiographies are essentially biographies of saints or religious figures that people want to become a saint. Mm. And generally the women in these stories are granted stock roles which don't necessarily reflect anything that happened in their real life. And we either have good or saintly women that help the uh, the heroes. Mm. Um, so Edgar Fu was a good woman. Mm. But we also celebrate virgins and victims. Yeah. So that becomes how the church can see women as saintly, not because they have a strong role in the church, but they have to be a victim. They have to be pure uh, of body. And when they do interact with men, they have to be a victim. They have to be running away or they have to be chased or they have to be abducted. Yeah, it works with the whole um, Mary, uh, Jesus' mum thing. What's it called? Virgin Mary. Yes. That she is a virgin. Yeah. Yeah, she wasn't running away from Joseph, but nevertheless, that for Jesus to be born to a woman and Mm. for Mary to be saintly, it's a bit awkward if she has to, in some way, 
yeah, have some kind of physical yeah. thing going on. So, so it's she like, doesn't oh, follow the Jezebel role. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's notable that uh, Gosselin and William of Malmesbury, who are two of the people writing uh, about some of these events, both Norman writers and a point at which Saxon saints are being rewritten as virginal victims, Gosselin is a very adept writer of hagiography. Mm. And uh, so he does the Edith's uh, Vita. Right. Um, so the daughter and non-resisting marriage, as I said, with uh, like with Ethel Druid of Ely, is a classic trope in hagiography. Right. So if you're wanting to say, look how good and holy Wolfrith is, yeah. and probably they would have hoped that this grand, powerful figure in the abbess might have become a saint. Yeah. Classic trope. How do you deal with the fact that she's very saintly and holy, and yet before she became the abbess, she was married to the king and had a daughter. Yeah. Ah, well, she was resisting temptation. Edgar had his wicked way with mm. her. And then she's like, no, I'm too holy. I must go back to the nunnery. Perhaps she's not actually being chased by Edgar. Perhaps she was, you know, consenting with it. Mm. And then she might have decided she wanted to become a nun. She didn't actually enjoy being mm. queen. Or Edgar finds somebody else to marry and she gets sent off to the nunnery. And that's the way that they spin it. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. So there's a lot going on with the sex with nuns. It's not just as simple as Edgar... No. So it could fall into any one of those car- uh, categories. Exactly. Or be a little bit of all of it. Yeah. Well, good good detective work, Graham. But I still like to think of it as sex and nuns. Correspondence Corner. Anyway, let us know what you think about uh, Wolfrith, about uh, Ethaldrida, Candida, Anida. <laughs> That's been my favourite name so far. And sex with nuns. Hmm. Send in your hashtag consult cards uh, for both of them. Uh, you can find us on social media at RexFactorPod on Twitter and Instagram. Like the RexFactorPodcast Facebook page. Email RexFactorPodcast.hotmail.com and go to RexFactor.wordpress.com for blogs and uh, completing the polls. Uh, if you want to support the podcast, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, oh. Stitcher, whatever you use. <laughs> and if you want to support us financially mm. and hear more content, you can donate monthly to join the Privy Council. Oh. Uh, Every uh, normal episode we do is followed by a Privy Chamber podcast where we chat some more about the episode and other sorts of things. And depending on the level at which you donate, you can get access to special episodes, mugs and t-shirts. Yes, we're going to do a Privy Chamber right now. We are, and we're going to talk a little bit more about nuns yeah, and a little bit more about St. Edith, who may or may not have been offered the throne by Dunstan. Book review? And a book review. Hmm. And we've got some new Privy Councillors to welcome. Oh, good. Charlotte Falsing. Hello. ASD 440. <laughs> Jenna Lees. Katie Goodwin. And Kirsty Petroborg. Hello. Were they all ladies this week? Ladies. What's the right word? <laughs> Women. A few messages from some of our Privy Councillors. Brilliant. ZN8TQV. Tip of the tongue, that one, all the time. I love the Rex Factor podcast and the approach to history. It's a great accompaniment for anything I need to do in my daily life. I get to add the knowledge I already have related to my interest in history, and I get to laugh too. Thank you, chaps. Thank you. Megan. Excited to finally join the Privy Council. This podcast is the perfect blend of information and humour. I've learned quite a bit from listening and put together bits of history I've learned in the past into the broader chronological context. Well done, and thanks for all your hard work putting this podcast together. Hello from Florida. Uh, Louise Brimicom was given uh, Privy Council membership as a birthday present. Oh, cool. She hopes its luster will result in her receiving more respect from her daughters. <laughs> and uh, she also says, I've recently been reading about the Anglo-Saxon kingdoms in England before Alfred the Great. I was delighted to discover that the Anglo-Saxon word for February was Solmonap, which may have meant month of mud. 
Oh, you're joking. I knew it, Graham. <laughs> My gut. I tell you, it's, it's on to something. An alternative theory, speaking of gut, is that it meant month of cake. Mm. Which sounds a lot nicer, though. Perhaps everything was so muddy that it was hard to tell the difference. Yeah, like icing. Mm, and obviously, if Alfred was uh, making that cake, then uh, might it would as well be burnt burn icing mud. Burnt Perfect. Mud. And finally, David Wallace has a question. If you could give an official nickname to any monarchs who didn't have, uh, didn't already have one, along the lines of Ivan the Terrible or Alfred the Great, what would it be? William the Penguin. <laughs> William the Penguin, indeed. What would yours be? I feel like the Jameses could have done with um, mm. differentiation by nickname, perhaps. Oh, goodness me, yes. Uh, or Victoria. I'm surprised she didn't have one. Yes, indeed, Victoria, yes. What would you, uh, would you grant Victoria oh, I, as a I nickname? I can't say anything without being really rude. Now, a few more messages from some of our other listeners. Uh, a few ones in response to our episode on Ed Fur Kent. Mm-hmm. Sarah Bolton. Oh, Ali. Bless your little cotton socks. Surprised by Dunstan facts and spaghetti hoops in one episode. I'm surprised that I didn't get more support on that. <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> genuinely, I was. I was. Uh, sad girl study guides on Twitter got in touch to say a tiny little correction for you lads. Margaret Beaufort was queen grandmother too. She made it through about a week of Henry VIII's reign. Oh, good knowledge. So this is where we said Edgar Fu of Kent was the only queen grandmother. Yeah. The thing is that Margaret Beaufort was queen mother of Henry the Seventh, queen grandmother of Henry the Eighth. Yeah. But she was never actually queen consort, because of course Henry the Seventh took the throne in battle. Oh. So Margaret wasn't married to a king. Oh. So thus, sadly, she's a really interesting figure. Sadly, she's not in this series because she's never actually a consort she's a really interesting figure isn't she mm. and Emily McMahon said Eleanor of Aquitaine should have been a queen grandmother John robbed her of that by murdering Arthur of Brittany and imprisoning Arthur's sister as if there weren't enough reasons why John sucked <laughs> yeah and finally it seemed appropriate given the episode we're at now to have a couple of messages about Edgar the Peaceable yeah Devin Vega I started listening to your podcast in 2015, got right up to the English finals in 2017, and took a long break to finish up my PhD. Good excuse, that one. I just came back recently, re-listened to the England finals, and started listening to the beginning of the Scots. I just heard the Constantine III episode, where you welcome late listeners to write in. So here I am. Mm -hmm. I'm guessing by now it's become a bit of a trope, but I've been harbouring this deep-seated feeling since way back when I first heard the episode. What? Edgar the Peaceable deserved the Rax Factor. Oh, yeah, this again. Well, now. I don't want Ali to take another beating over this, but I had to get it off my chest. I don't think there was another monarch who was so awesome that no one even dared to attack him. Yeah. Um, you know, the record stands. He did not get the Rex Factor. <laughs> it is funny also, like in this episode, obviously talking about the sector nuns again and how that has come to define everything you look for in Scandal. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> and he was Absolutely the one. Absolutely true. Under the Tokyo Tower on Twitter. A brief note on Edgar the Peaceable. Mm. He didn't deserve the Rex Factor. Quite right. Absolutely. Thank you, Tokyo Tower. Going around on a boat, having people say he's king. If you have to say it, it's probably not true. Ooh, I like mm. it. I like it a lot as I'm... Well, and we've had some messages about that as well. Because mm. we've uh, found it was, a, it was a Jim Carrey film, mm. but not one of the ones we mentioned. Dumb and Dumber. Dumb and Dumber. Thank you for listening to Wilfrith the Wilton and uh, Ethel Theda. Anita Candida. <laughs> the next episode we will be releasing will be a special episode on John Churchill, the first Duke of Marlborough, Battle of Blenheim. Lovely. And uh, perhaps we should watch The Favourite, 
the Oscar-winning film. I really, really Queen do Anne. want to watch. You'll be a character in that. Uh, but yes, until then, thank you very much for listening. Cheerio.